Radio advertising is good. Why should you advertise on the Tan Talk Radio Network, AM 1340? Well, it's simple. We are a local radio station with local shows that target our local communities and local listeners. We have a variety of shows that cover a multitude of informative and interesting topics, such as automotive and boating, real estate and finance, health and medical, politics and law, sports and fishing, pet care, and more. Why, we are even home to Imus in the Morning. We also have shows about comedy, food and dining, religion, fashion, local community events and activities, and a variety of music. Talk radio provides a listening format that appeals to a large cross-section of people. Whether you are in your car, at work, at home, everyone has a radio. And we are streamed live on the Internet. And past shows are podcasted so you, the listener, can play back your favorite shows over and over again. The possibilities are endless. So that, my listeners, is why you should advertise on the Tam Talk Radio Network, AM 1340. Listeners, this is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Let me tell you about my company, Gulfstream Motorsports, Inc. 727-541-1741. I have over 35 years' experience with classic, vintage, sport, and racing cars. I do appraisals, consulting, and pre-purchase inspections. Before you buy your next rare classic, the car of your dreams, give me a call at Gulfstream Motorsports, Inc. 727-541-1741. Also, due to my 28 years' experience in the auto salvage business, I am very good with wrecks. So if your car has been in a wreck, call me for a diminished value report. Call me at 727-541-1741. You may be owed some money for lost value of your repaired vehicle. That's Gulfstream Motorsports, Inc., 727-541-1741. And be sure to tune in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars, Wednesdays, 7 to 8 p.m. on the Tantalk Radio Network, AM 1340. Hi, this is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. If you'd like to play golf, Magnolia Valley Golf Club is offering some specials this week. Give them a call up there at 727-847-2342. They have a 9-hole executive course, and they have an 18-hole par 72. And they've got great food on the 19th hole. So call my friend Pete at 727-847-2342. And be sure to tune in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Beach party gang going drag strip. To nostalgic radio and cars. Hey, Bill, how you doing tonight? Yeah! 
<laughs> you can turn the music down a bit. Okay. I can't hear myself. Hey, why didn't you call Rick Der- uh, Rick Derringer? He's- yeah, well, you know what? That's right. We tried to get Rick Derringer on the radio show tonight because Rick Derringer is going to be here on Friday at Blast Friday. As a matter of fact, I tried calling his PR guy. I left four messages today and yesterday, and I didn't get one with call. I, I, I tried to get him on sports with Rick and the ball coaches. I sent him an email. He, re- he replied to the email. He said he's over here some studio practicing or something. Really? Yeah. Okay. Well, cool. Hey, let's get right to... Uh, Wait a minute. i got to find a song first. you got to find a song? Okay, well, then I'll just keep talking a little bit. Hey, I'll keep just talking. Wanna, I want to let... Hey, you know what? We've had some pretty cool guests on our show here in the last couple of weeks. Uh, you know, we have guys like Mario Andretti's been on. Sam Posey was on. Judy Stropis was on. Obviously, we've had Johnny Rutherford. Uh, next week, next week, we've got another legendary race car guy. we got Dan Gurney coming on the radio show. So I've been trying to get Dan for a while, so I'm really excited about that. Tonight, tonight, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, we have a great show. Because not only do we have a legendary drag racer for a change, but this guy's also started movies. He's started in TVs. He's a really, really cool guy. He is really a groovy guy. So I can use the term groovy because this guy's out in Cal. Cali, California. Depends on where you're from. You know, we, we call it California. But at any rate, so uh, we're real excited because he'll be on the show here in a few minutes. And, hey, you got that uh, tape all wound up for us? Let her rip.
listeners. This is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. We all love to eat. Well, I would like to tell you about my friends at the Rib Shack Barbecue on West Bay Drive in downtown Largo. Their menu offers family-sized takeout dinners like delicious ribs, chicken, beef, and pork, or sit-down barbecue dinners, sandwiches, and even desserts. They will also cater your party. Everything is barbecued fresh using real oak for that great smoky flavor. So visit my friends, Corey, Jed, and Kirk at the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 600 West Bay Drive, or call them for a takeout order at 727-501-9090. That's 727-501-9090. They truly have the best smoking barbecue in town. Oh, and be sure and check out their great barbecue sauce. That's the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 727-501-9090. I'm telling Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Car sent you. Hey listeners, this is Robert from Nostalgic Radiant Cars. I'd like to tell you about a great place to eat right on the main part of Clearwater Beach. Located at 333 South Gulfview Boulevard. Crabby's Beachwalk Bar and Grill has two floors of food, drink, and fun. They have daily specials, happy hour, and nightly entertainment. Their menu caters to seafood lovers as well as land lovers. Crabby's Beachwalk Bar and Grill, 727-608-2065. They're open in the morning for breakfast until 1 a.m. So stop by and visit my friends, Turtle, Eddie, and Polly, and all the girls and staff at Crabby's Beachwalk Bar and Grill. That's 727-608-2065. Mention Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and you never know, you might get a free drink. That's Crabby's Beachwalk Bar and Grill on Clearwater Beach, 727-608-2065. Okay, boys and girls, ladies and gentlemen, we are back. We are live here downtown at the Ten Talk Radio. It's the Ten Talk Radio studio. Is that it? I got it right. Hey, I got my son with me today. Bobby, say hi to everybody out there. How you doing, everybody? Okay, Bobby's here. He's uh, he's sitting in with me this week because he's out of school. So, and his mommy's going to kill me when he gets home because, well, she didn't want him on the radio show. She just wants him to sit in the background. But anyway, so here he is. Welcome to the show, Bobby. Okay. Anyway, uh, hey, if you hey, try to get a hold of Rick Derringer, because remember, tonight is open mic night at Naughty Nancy's, and I think what would be really cool is if we could talk Rick Derringer and kind of walking over with us and just bring his guitar and say, hey, uh, I would like to meet a friend of mine's name's Rick. Um, he plays guitar a little bit, so, you know, and then he comes out with, rock and roll, Chico, you know, something like that. Of course, he, the song we played earlier, the McCoys. And Hang On Sloopy, that was uh, one of Rick's uh, early bands. He was also with Edgar Winter, and then, of course, he went on on his own. So he's done quite a bit of stuff. He's, got a, he's a great guitarist. Anyway, what do we got going on this weekend? Oh, we have Blast Friday. And who was the feature performer there at Blast Friday at downtown Clearwater this Friday at 5 o'clock? Rick Derringer. Rick okay. and roll. Hoochie-goo. Okay, Bill. <laughs> I think we wore that one out. Anyway, and Thursday, tomorrow night, Quaker Steak and Lube, car show. Be sure and show up there. Bring your hot rods. Bring your cool car. Just 200 300 cars that show up there sometimes, well, at least 200. 300 people, maybe, something like that. And it's all fun and games and eats. So check out Quaker Steak and Lube every Thursday down in Clearwater, 49th Street. Starts at 5 o'clock, goes to about 10. Also, on Saturday is, no, Friday nights, we got Biff Burger, also down on the corner of 38th and 49th Street, just a few miles down. And let's see what else we got. Oh, yeah, Sunday, Webster. Webster, the car show swap meet. So, hey, I'll be out there walking around, maybe. Hopefully, uh, scrounge some cool parts. You know, we're getting in towards the end of the season here. Also, this weekend I think is uh, Spring Carlisle. So, if you guys got uh, the energy, just drive on up to Hershey, Pennsylvania, Carlisle area, and go to the car show swap meet. Anyway, hey, Bill, 
got that song queued up, ready to go? Yeah, I'm talking to to uh, to to. I'm talking. Yeah, I've got your song queued up. You got my song queued up. I got. You got you. a football player going to be coming on Thursday on one of the shows here. Yeah, really. The oh, guy, okay. the former Buccaneer, Chris Hovan. Uh, what's what's what? He plays he plays for Los Angeles Rams now. Oh, does he? Okay. His cool. uh, his uh, his his wife is uh, is a uh, uh, the mom to the to the wife is on Rick's sports with Rick and the Ball coach. Oh, cool. Jun okay. Kate. Here's your. I've never heard of this. Pyramids. Yep. Pyramid. They did a lot of really cool sixties surf and drive music. This is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. As most of you know, I'm in the car business, and often I need cars towed. Well, Kotaka's Towing has all the trucks and equipment to meet your needs. Whether it's long distance, short distance, or just around the corner, they can get it done. Kotaka's Towing, located at 1141 Court Street in Clearwater. Also, they have a full-service repair and body shop to meet all your automotive needs. So give my friends Lefty and Joey a call at Kotaka's Towing at 727-447-1952. And be sure and mention Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and you might get a discount. Hey listeners, this is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. I'd like to tell you about Naughty Nancy. No, this isn't a story about a bad girl. This is a truth about a great place to eat and hang out. Naughty Nancy's Food Shack, located at 700 Eldridge Street in the downtown Clearwater area, is a quaint little place nestled under some huge oak trees serving great food and drink and a wonderful, friendly atmosphere. That's Naughty Nancy's, 727-446-3717. They have 10 daily specials as well as many different styles of cooking from Cajun, New England, Country Gourmet, and even Short Order, prepared just the way you want it. So check out this groovy little dew drop in right on the trail. So jog up to her front door, ride up on your bicycle, drive up in your car, or pull up on your motorcycle. And visit my friend Nancy and place your order. That's Naughty Nancy's, 727-446-3717. 
Hey, mention Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and you might get a free drink. tantalizer with a chassis that'll make every man's motor roar. You gonna come to my party, then? I get a little dizzy trying to remember which is my turn and which is Fred's. Oh, I like you both. Is that a crime? Here's your girlfriend. I just bought her for a few minutes. It's an explosive triangle highlighting Hollywood's new teenage stars. Pretty Faye Spain, pleasing Steve Terrell, enticing Judy Bamber. And dynamic John Ashley. Energy they use up would generate enough electricity to run this city. Call that dancing. Girls too fast becoming women. Boys who are almost men, teasing death to win the favors of Drag Strip Girl. complaints that I know of. Okay. Then let's make part two a chicky run. Jim! Louise is racing your car! Okay, this time we are back, and we're live back here at the one, the only, the world-famous Nostalgic Radio Cars. Hey, guess what? Now it's just about time to introduce our special, special calling guest for the evening. Let me tell you a little bit about this gentleman. He's a TV star. He's a movie star. He is a drag racing pioneer extraordinaire. He's been inducted into the Motorsport Hall of Fame. It gives me great pleasure to introduce to my show this evening, TV Tommy Ivo. Tommy, are you there? Yes, I'm here. You're here. Okay. Thanks so much for having me on. I'm glad you could make it. How are you doing out there in sunny California? Oh, I'm doing just great. Thank you very much. <laughs> okay. So how'd you... I just celebrated my 50th, my 50th, boy, I wish, my 75th birthday here last mo- Monday. And I, uh, all my buddies tell me my last name, Ivo, I-V-O, is perfect. It stands for I'm very old. <laughs> <laughs> so with friends like that, you don't need any enemies. But we have some good times. Well, that's good. Well, happy birthday to you. Thank you. So, uh, anyway, so what did you think of that little clip I dug up there for you, that drag strip yeah, girl? Yeah, I was listening to that. Boy, you must have looked back a bit for that one. I didn't have to hide it. You no. know, it's odd. You read that, right? That I acted in pictures for about uh, uh, 20 years, mm-hmm. almost 20 years, and I made about 100 movies, a couple of hundred television shows, and made some good ones. And these old ones, like Drag Strip Girl, come back to haunt me sometimes. <laughs> I made a movie called called I Remember Mama that was done by George Stevens, the director that did uh, Giant. And I mean, it was up for eight Academy Awards and everything. And it was great, but these
these old cult movies just seem to hang on. So, well, I guess better than nothing. If you watch the late, late, late show, you'll catch TV Tom. There you go. Now, you were actually in that movie, weren't you, in Drag Drag Strip Girl? Because there was a scene in there. Yeah, I was. Uh, We used my Roadster, my very first hot rod in the thing, and I was was the mechanic of the bad guy on the thing. The good guy had my Roadster. And as the story goes, I broke my leg, and one of the little chips of the cast fell off of it. We got busted for stealing my own car. So you know how the the movies go. They they change things around (laughs) as you go. But it was all fun. You know, I got to, when I was really young, I got to ride with Roy Rogers and Gene Autry and swing through the trees on vines with Bamboo the Jungle Boy. And those dummies were paying me for it. I mean, how much better does it get? That's having fun and getting paid for it at the same time. I think that's sort of like having your cake and eating it, too. (laughs) Now, you... You did and th- then I tripped into this drag racing and got to do my hobby for the rest of my life. And, and you know, two trips to the wishing well. Most people don't even get one. Well, now, how did the whole drag racing thing come about with you? You basically were like a big car enthusiast back in those days, right? Well... I started out in the movies when I was seven years old, and that ran until I was 26. And when I turned 16, of course, you got to have a car. We're in Southern California here, you know. You've got to have the got to have the one to go over to Bob's Drive-In. We lived American graffiti, and so uh, it was just really something to do in between pictures. No matter how much you work, you got a lot of time on your hands. So I started tinkering around. With these cars, eventually took them out to the drag strip, and the thing run like a streak. And the first time I went out there, I won two trophies, one for setting the class record and one for winning the class. And to an actor, that was like getting two Oscars in one day, and the hook was set. Now, when you um, first got into that, were you were you kind of, were you fairly mechanical at the time, or did you have? Uh, I mean, were you you know today by today's back in those days we hey you're a wrench you know we referred to everybody as a wrench if they knew how to work on their own car. So were you wrenching on the cars yourself, or did you have other people do oh, that? Oh yeah, yeah. As I say, it was something to do in between pictures. I enjoyed working on it actually more than I did racing it. But of course, when you got it got the car done, you have to go out to the drag strip and see what it's done, what it does. And it was uh, it was never defeated in class. It's held a track record everywhere we went. So, of course, when you have some success like that, it baits you right along. Then, of course, I had to change over to dragsters. So I had a dragster with one Buick engines in it. Then I put two in, four in. I uh, had a fuel car was sitting in front of the motor, behind the motor, funny cars, jet cars. So over a 30-year period, it was a giant research and development program and it was so much fun because when we came home from tour each year we'd say oh boy oh boy oh boy what are we going to build next year nowadays it's pretty cut and dry with what works and what you do well now what did you when you first started out you had what a 1925 t is what you kind of raced 
And was that? Uh, a- that yeah, we built that as I say to go to Bob's Drive-In. That was the big hangout out here, and then took it out to the drags and had so much success with it. So that was. And a- then, as I say, I switched to the to the single Buick and then the twin. And what they did, a lot of tracks back there got together when they had their meeting on their insurance and everything, and they said we ought to get one of these guys out here from the West Coast we read about in the magazines all the time. So they called me up and offered me a summer-long tour to go to 10 different tracks on 10 different weekends, and uh, we would take, and um, it was just the first time anyone ever made a tour of the United States for the whole summer long, making your living at it. So they sort of called me the first professional. Garlitz would take and go out maybe go up. He started about the same time I did. He'd go up to Georgia for the weekend and then hot-footed back home to run his shop. And when we went on tour, we were just a couple of kids brainstorming across the country with the car on an open trailer. And the guy that crewed for me on that one, although we called them tire wipers in those days because (laughs) they'd wipe the tires just before you go to the line and knock the little pebbles off of it, was a buddy of mine that was painting my cars for me. And I told him, you know, you ought to try a little drag racing. And he took me up on it, and his name was Don Perdone. Boy, was that a Pandora's box I opened. I could never get closed again. Don the Snake Perdome, correct? Don the very own Snake Perdome. <laughs> Although at that time, he was still Don the Worm. Don before the worm. he grew his awesome fangs, <laughs> I got became you. the snake. <laughs> how'd, the, how'd the snake story come about? Something about a rabbit on a drag strip or something like that? Do you remember that story? A rabbit on a drag strip? Yeah, something well, about he... How'd no, get... you've got me at a little loss for words there. How he first really started driving professionally, mm-hmm. I was doing a series. I had my twin motor car, I went back east, and I thought, man, if they liked two motors, they'd love four. And actually, mathematically, by having more power and less weight, it should work pretty good. See, they were limiting us to gasoline only in those days. These cars were running 150 miles an hour and a quarter, and they thought, oh, that's just way too fast. So they took away the nitromethane, and the only thing we could do to make more horsepower would be to add more and more motors. The only problem was, just as I got that four-motor car done, I got a series called Margie that ran in 1961-62, and they grounded me from driving because they didn't want me driving that car around. So, who do I pick but my good buddy Don Perdone to drive the thing. And that was his first professional driving job, and I paid him 25 bucks a race to drive <laughs> the car. <laughs> you think inflation has struck or what? Yeah. Now, how did As you- a matter of fact, uh, they just came out 
with a new book on my biography, Motorbooks did, yeah. and uh, Don Perdone did the forward in it. So our, our racing careers ran so close together throughout the years that it was really appropriate to do it. So when Motorbooks came out with it, it uh, you know, you can get it on uh, Amazon.com and everything. And, I well, last time I saw you was when we were debuting the book down there at the Amelia Island Concourse. You know. Yeah. Now the so it's it's selling good. It's the name tell tell, going, tell everybody going into what, second printing. Tell everybody what the name of the book is, Tommy. Uh, it's uh, Tommy Ivo. You know, if you go to Amazon Books and go for Tommy Ivo, pulls okay. it up with a big fire burn out on the front of it, of course. And the subtitle is Drag Racing's Master Showman. Uh-huh. You know, I had a pretty good spillover between the movie business and the racing business. I I became aware that, you know, there are fans in the stands and they like to be entertained as much as they like to uh, as much as they like to watch the races at the same time. So we'd sprinkle a car with a lot of chrome and some flashy red, I used to call it Tommy Ivo red paint, and we'd do things like fire burnouts. We'd put a little gasoline in the rosin, and when you stepped on the gas, it would fling it up into the air, and the flames coming out of the headers would set it on fire, kind of like a Barnum and Bailey poster, you know, and they had the tigers jumping through the burning hoops. Then I took and I built a, a trailer one time with all glass sides in it because we used to drive down the road and people would see my name on the side of it, you know, and they'd say, whoa, whoa, can we see the car? And we'd wear the hinges off the trailer, opening and closing them to get back in there. So we went racing in England, and they had some little buses there they were hauling us around in that had solid glass sides in them running from your elbow up to the roof. You know, out here with the old Greyhound buses, they only had kind of little portholes in them. And the light went off over my head, and I thought, you know, that's the ticket. And I built it into a trailer, and then I had the first big rig because later on in a series of those trailers, I got a truck, and I put two dragsters in it side by side and put a Corvette up on top of the whole thing to use as a push car. So it was quite a spectacle going down the road. Wow. Hey, back to the two-engine car and the four-engine car. Why was it that you decided to use Buick motors as opposed to, let's say, Chevrolets, Cadillacs, Oldsmobiles, Fords, or something like that? What, what, what gra- why, well, why'd you gravitate to Buick? Yeah, when I was 16, mm-hmm. me and my girlfriend across the street here, Pedaled our little bicycles up to town, went to all the dealerships and got brochures from them, laid them all out on the floor, and I looked at it and said, hmm, that's kind of the prettiest one there. What is it, a buck? I couldn't even pronounce <laughs> So I bought that as a stock car. And uh, then when I went to build my Roadster, as I say, we went out with that stock car and won two trophies with the thing. I thought, boy, if it runs that good in a in a big car, it ought to really run in the Roadster. And it just happened that the power to the tire size was perfect at the time. The big limiter were tires, of course. Mm-hmm. When I first started, they didn't even have slicks. They would take and take old tire carcasses and make 
recap slicks out of them. Boy, that was a little exciting. But then they came out with the regular slicks. And as it went along, it was just the right power-to-weight ratio because my single-engine car was the quickest car in the country. Then I went to the twin, and it was the fastest and the quickest car. We were the first to run 170, Ooh, 180 <laughs> miles an hour in under eight seconds. My guy said ain't even a good race for a pro stocker nowadays. But remember, that was a half century ago. Then we went on, of course, with the fuel car to uh, be the first to run in the sevens. Then later on, I was the first to run in the A and the fives. And the first run, 190 miles an hour. We had a lot of firsts because, like I say, we was always experimenting so much. It was just, it was great. That was the fun of the whole deal. Well, just like you mentioned earlier, and I've talked to some of the other uh, race car race car guys that I've had on the radio show before, and it seems like you know the fifties, the sixties, there was just a lot of pioneering and just so much creativity in the motorsports world in general. And just like you had mentioned later earlier in the show, that today the formulas are pretty much all figured out. You know, there's it's it's all pretty much set for you. So now it's just a matter of just kind of fine tuning what you've got to work with. You know, because there's really not a lot of uh, development that you can, although they do find little areas, little pockets where they can get additional horsepower, but it's not like, you know, all the experimentation that was going on with different materials, different motors, different compressions and stuff. But my real question was getting back to was, why did you choose a Buick motor itself? Was there something unique about the Buick motor? And the reason I say that is because no. a lot of people were, the, the old Buick nailhead motors, just something about the head design seemed to work real well. And did you find that too as well? Uh, yeah, well, uh, perhaps I didn't explain myself correctly. Okay. It started with a, a stock Buick car. Right. And then when I went to put an engine into my first little T Roadster, okay. I thought if a Buick motor run that good in a big car, okay. then I'd go ahead and put it into the Roadster. And then it progressed on up through the dragsters until I got four of them in one car. And then after that, I think a six-pack was a little serious. Yeah, you know what? funny there wasn't a whole bunch of guys running Buicks, but I found with those little, as they call them, nail heads, Mm -hmm. that it had an awful lot of torque. And I ran a huge gear in the rear end, and I think that's the thing that most guys didn't catch on to. You know, we ran those things, like you say, there's there's so much money involved nowadays, but we made our money off of our appearance money. We ran the wheels off of those things. I ran one time eight times in one week. We run Sunday afternoon at Adco, New Jersey, near Philadelphia, and then went up to English Town and ran Sunday night. So <laughs> it kept us busy, I'll tell you that. I don't know where I got all the energy to do that. Now, when you like when you were racing, let's say, like going back to the Buick Motors, now, did you get any money from General Motors, sponsorship money from, let's say, some of the other, uh, like Edelbrock or Crane Cams or Iski or whoever, uh, you know, whosoever components you, wrote at the, you ran at that time? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was pretty much that. What I did, I went, uh, I had that twin engine car and they took a picture for, of it and put a full page in Life magazine. Now that was, that was the holy grail. So I took that when I was back east, went past Buick and says, look at this and I'm gonna build a car with four engines in it. And they supplied me all the engines and that, 
that was a big deal, you know. Mm-hmm. And, of course, we had the Esky cams, and Valvoline Oil was with me for, throughout my whole career. But the, these were small things. There just wasn't that money and much money involved in it. Uh, I, I win oil company paid me $6,000 one year, and, oh, I thought I'd died and gone to heaven, you know. <laughs> So it uh, it's just changed the whole thing. But, see, I drove the car, I tuned the car, I built the car. I did everything from sweeping the floors to the CEO. So that had a certain advantage to it. I didn't have to worry about getting fired. <laughs> you know? I, was, I was sleeping with the boss, so to speak. Mm-hmm. I couldn't fire myself, you know. Now, was Don Perdome, was he with you most of the time there through your early career there? No, no. He just went out with me the first uh, tour. Okay. And actually, when we were out there with the twin, I had the single-engine car still laying in the garage. I hadn't gotten rid of the chassis. How I, how I met him was he, uh, he was building a roadster, and he was putting a Buick motor in it, so he thought, okay, I'll go talk to Mr. Buick and see how to run the engine. And through a mutual friend, I got to meet him, and we made a deal that he was a car painter, that if he painted my dragster for me, I'd hop him up on the Buick deal and help him put the motor together. So he went out the first year with me. While we were out, it wasn't as simple as saying, you ought to try drag racing. I lent him my single-engine car. I said, get rid of that roadster. And we put the motor out of the roadster into my car, and he was off and running with the thing kind of amusing little thing that came up one night at Long Lions Drag Strip. You know, that was that Long Beach was really the premier drag strip out here. And it came down to he and myself for the top eliminator. And I beat him with the twin engine car. He had the single. So he was up there at the other end digging his toe around in the ground <laughs> saying, well, if I had two motors, I could win too. So I says, okay, let's switch cars. Now that was a sucker bet because I had hundreds of runs in both cars. <laughs> they were mine. And that twin-engine car was way too overpowered for the tires. And the hard thing was you had to kind of slide the clutch when you first left the starting line. And he did exactly what I thought he was going to do. He jumped on it and blazed the tires, and I beat him again with a single-engine car (laughs) and rode him into the ground for a year after that. He never heard the end of it. I used to be a terrible practical joker. Okay. And we, um, we, when we went out on tour the first time, I'd do little things like uh, when we got to the motel room, I'd dump the shampoo out of his bottle and put tin weight oil in it. And he went in the shower and he put it in his hair. And more water he added to it, the more it turned to axle grease. I I don't know why he doesn't like me, but maybe (laughs) my jokes weren't as funny to him as they were to me. (laughs) When you you were running those dragsters, most of those cars back in the day, the early ones, they were front-engine dragsters so when did you make the transition to rear-engine dragsters and who did that actually first because the story goes don gartlitz did it 
after he launched the motor and it took off his part of his foot. Is that is that the way the story goes? And then everybody uh, felt. Yeah, it it isn't quite like that. Okay. Uh, actually, they had tried several of them. Tony Nancy had tried one, and he turned the thing over. It just wouldn't handle. But Don made the most successful one. So it's the one that worked. When he put that wing on the uh, back of it, it really stabilized it and made a good, uh, good, solid running piece out of the thing. You know, with these front-engine cars, we took them one time, Don and myself did garlets, and uh, we went to England. It was the first time they'd ever seen anything like that over there. They took ten different guys in five different classes. They had Grumpy Jenkins and and Tony Nancy and Sox and Martin, all the heroes of the day. And Garlitz and I, of course, had the fuel cars, so we were at the top of the food chain. And I thought I'd have to fight Garlitz to make the first run over there. I wanted to show the Limeys what it was all about. <laughs> In fact, I took the headers we had just zoomy headers at the time that pointed straight up in the air mm-hmm. for more download. I took those off and put what we call weed sprayers on. They went <laughs> down and out to the side, but they were twice as long and made twice as much noise. And that's what I wanted to do. And he let me make the first run. And so I pulled it up into the, uh, into the staging area, and there must have been 200 people there just idling it along and when I got right in the middle of it I stomped on the throttle and let the lightning loose and all I saw was rear ends and elbows running in all (laughs) directions they thought the thing had blown up or something but it was perfect it was just what I was looking for and I pumped my fist in the air and said yes (laughs) now when you guys did you do any exhibition runs with Gartless or whenever you guys race was it pretty much just heads up racing you wanted him and he wanted you and you were out the win no what we did you know it was a big thing in those days at first when we first went back we were racing the local guy and there wasn't a whole bunch of interest in it because they figured a foregone conclusion the hero from the west coast was supposed to win it well i got the idea you know they'd take these rock and roll concerts if one guy was by himself he could fill the forum but if they put a couple of them together they could fill a stadium and i told them you know you ought to have garlits and I match race each other. Cost them about 500 bucks more, but I told them they'd make an easy 5000 more. So I started match racing them, and it kind of became the perennial race for these various tracks. I'd race them about 50 times a year, and uh, and it was, <laughs> everybody used to say, what do you do? You take one, he takes one. Mm-hmm. Let me tell you, whenever we went to the starting line together, it was for blood. And then, as you said, uh, he had blown half his foot off when he uh, when he changed over to the rear motor car. Mm-hmm. But he retired first, and that left me in kind of a lurch. I didn't know what to do. I'd call up the tracks, and they say, "Well, you know, yeah, we'd like to have you back again. Who are we going to run you against?" And Shirley Muldowney was running a funny car at the time, 
And I don't know if you ever saw that movie, Heart Like a Wheel, but it blew up on her and burned her pretty good. And she didn't like that very much. As a matter of fact, just on a sidebar here, I did all the driving and all the technical advice in that Heart Like a Wheel movie. Oh, really? But uh, she changed over. You know, she came out to a little track up near Detroit up there and was trying some test runs in a dragster. And bing, the light bulb went on above my head. I know who I can race. And I went over and told her, if you build a dragster, I'll uh, I'll book it so much you won't be able to keep up with it. Because I needed someone to race, and it was just at that women's lib time when, when that was all blossoming, and it was perfect. And it really helped Shirley a bunch, because with the dragster, you know, seat time, seat time, seat mm-hmm. time, and we raced everybody on, we raced each other on the most little dangerous <laughs> death traps in the world. I mean, I think it helped her a bunch. Now, who were some besides Dartless and then, of course, racing against her, what were some of the other drivers that you kind of like, I don't want to say nemesis, but just some of the drivers that you really kind of wanted to race a lot? You know how sometimes, like in road racing, we have certain drivers we like to race against a little bit, you know, because they're... Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so who, did you, who, was, who were some of the guys you like to race against? I think Perdone would have to be up pretty much on the <laughs> okay. list. He was so dead serious all the time. And if I beat him, we'd get down at the other end, and he'd grab me by the scuff of the neck of my fire suit and shake me in the air. I only weighed 115 pounds. <laughs> Soaking wet, that is. So, And then, of course, I'd just stir the pot and make it worse and worse. See, that's what gave me a big leg up on wanting to do this drag racing, because when I was in high school, I was kind of a funny little guy. You know, I was making movies at the time, and I always played orphans in the earlier years, and then in the later years, I'd play ten-thumbed bumbling boyfriends, like my name was Haywood in the Margie show, that's mm-hmm. almost self-explanatory. And I'd do the movie during the week, and then on the weekend I'd go jump in my three hundred, my 200-mile at the time race car and <laughs> tell me that isn't a Superman Clark Kent deal. Yeah. <laughs> What's the fastest you've gone? Uh, I've run two. We could only run 250 at the time with the piston-driven cars. But I had a jet car, and that thing would run 300. So I know what that's all about, you know. But that thing, it was ferocious. Because all the other cars, they'd go from zero to 100 like that. And then they'd start slowing down when they were pushing wind and running down, running down on horsepower. But that jet engine made a good solid 8,000 horsepower. And it would kind of stumble off the line like a pro stalker. But when it got to 200 and start packing air, it was like riding a Roman candle. That thing just flew. In fact, one time at Thompson Dragway, the track went downhill six degrees. Now, we had the jet engine pointed four degrees down to stick it to the ground. If you set it on the tail, it would go straight up in the air. And I didn't take into consideration that 2% different. And when it came off, the end of the track, it flew about eight foot in the air, which sitting way in the front of it in the little... It was like coming 800 feet off the ground. 
<laughs> wow. It did a little wing over to the right. The wind was blowing toward the, across the track and landed in the mud and stopped in about 400 feet. And I'm lucky I didn't do a Dale Earnhardt and pull my skull out of my spine, as happened, well, unfortunately happened with him, because it threw my head so far forward that it crunched the front side of three of my vertebrae. So, you know, you play with fire, you get burned. Oh. I, I I broke my back, I pulled one arm out of the socket, I cut my Achilles tendon in two, but no pain, no gain, I guess, you know, it was worth the price of admission, let's put it that way. <laughs> What about what happened in the? Uh, didn't you have a top fuel accident one time too? You were racing. I'm trying to think who that was. It wasn't Connie Kalita or something like that. But what ha- you had a? An uh, early... Well, yeah, <laughs> boy, I'll tell you that was a ride. It was down at the Winter Nationals. And we had trouble with the Magnetos, and this was the last run to qualify. And this is the first time I'd ever been in danger of not qualifying for a national event. So I had that thing hopped up plenty good. And when we went through the lights, it was a brand-new car. It had four runs on it. We had moved the wing down a little to make it more paper darty looking, Mm -hmm. which is just exactly the wrong thing. You see how tall the wings are on these cars nowadays. But you know, we were pioneers, and every once in a while, pioneers get an an arrow in the ass, so we were just (laughs) learning. (laughs) But that thing, it exploded so severely that it zeroed out the wings down force, and when I lifted on the throttle, it went upside down and backwards, just rolled right over on 240 upside down and backwards, hit the guardrail, and came apart like a $2 watch, and I didn't get a scratch out of the deal. The only thing that made me mad was a scared me so bad I closed my eyes and missed the whole show. <laughs> Crap. So when did you stop racing? You know, as I say, that was four runs on that car. It uh-huh. was brandy spanking new. But I wouldn't have missed that for the world. That was my e-ticket ride. The trick, of course, is to not get hurt. If right. you get all banged up, then uh, then that's no good either. But, you know, like I say, these, these cars are... To uh, to a munchkin like myself, it was perfect. They were RoboCop outfits that I'd strap on and beat the varsity guys, you know? You've seen safety improve quite a bit since the time you started drag racing to today. So, like, when you had your crash, that was what? It was the mid-'70s, wasn't it, sometime? Yeah, it was about 74, as I remember. Right. So from 74, let's say today, I mean, you had that, those, you know, even then, you know, they were, they pretty much had those little capsules that you were encapsulated in. So when the cars basically broke away, you were pretty much in a little safe environment there, weren't you? We were. We were. It's just that nowadays they set you down so far into the car. If you look some of the old, uh, some of the old dragsters, you hung out quite a bit from about the chest up. Now they're so far down inside. I don't know that I'd like that so much either. It was it was kind of fun when you were going down the track to look over to the other side and see. Uh, see what was going on, you know, see where the other guy was. (laughs) One time when we had just, I talked earlier about these zoomy headers, we called them. Mm -hmm. They were a header that came off the motor and then pointed little shorties, went straight back up into the air for downforce. 
And as I say with my practical jokes, we used to push these cars to get them started. That's before they had the starter motors for them. And you'd push them about 30 miles an hour and let out the clutch, and the motor would really spin over to get a nice, clean light with this nitromethane, you know? So <laughs> at the Winter Nationals, I snuck over to Garlitz's car, and I dumped a bunch of confetti down. <laughs> and when he let out the clutch, the whole world turned to snow in front of him and scared to live in daylight. <laughs> and he caught up with me at the motel the next day. <laughs> and he grabbed me and hung me over a second-story balcony and says, you pull another stunt like that, and next time I'm going to drop you. <laughs> so <laughs> I went back to teasing Pernod, and he wasn't quite as violent as Carlos. <laughs> Uh, hey, Tommy, we're just about out of time here, but I do want to thank you for coming on the show, and it was really great. Would you be willing to come on again sometime and tell some more stories and pranks? And Sure, that'd be great. Okay. You know? What is Tom? That, you know, that four-motor car and everything was so interesting to do that type of thing. When I went to two motors, it was tricky, but after I got onto a multi-engine car, then we, we could do the four-motor. It's all that stuff in the book, details of how we build them great shots of construction and everything so it's just really been nice you know well you've had a really great career i mean like you said i mean it's like winning two oscars you go from the movies and then you go right into racing so you've got to enjoy both your passions that's an amazing that's an amazing uh feet, I guess, or just amazing well, life experience. It's great. nice to have lived to the age that I am now to at least know I stood the test of time. I, I guess I was pretty colorful. It worked pretty good anyway. I'm a happy little camper. That's good. What's the next big event you're going to be at? So if somebody wants to go visit you and get some autographs, where is this at? Uh, they're going to at the Charlotte race, uh, the middle of September. Okay. Uh, they're going to have the national event there, and then I don't know if you noticed on the latest one, they're uh, they're doing t- tributes to the old icons, and they, we go up at the start of the race on a platform right at the starting line and say, "Gentlemen, start your engines," and we'll do some color commentary, and we're going to have a display. Try to get my four motor car, there. well, several of my cars, and. And, uh, and that'll be really nice. That, oh. that ought to be fun. So as I say, that's at Charlotte. Oh, I think it's around September. It's the middle weekend, about September 18th, something like that. Good deal. All right, Tommy, we got to go. We're just about out of time. I want to thank you for coming on the show. Tune in next week, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. We have Dan Gurney coming on. And in the future, we're going to have Don Perdone come on, too, so he can tell the other side of the stories that Tommy Ivo told us tonight. So everybody else, we'll see you later. Stay safe. Drive safe. And it's off to Naughty Nancy's Open Mic Night.